start there. Um, now, today's Sunday, right? Last time I checked, last night was Saturday, and something really significant happens on a Saturday night, Saturday night every Saturday night for as long as I remember. Does anyone know what that is? Lotto, right? <laughs> Who participated? Just kidding. <laughs> Please, we're in church, don't show your hands here. Nobody did, by the way. I was looking. Um, but Lotto over the years has had different ways of marketing, um, you know, how to be into win, you know, that kind of thing. And the, the most recent one that I remember, and I haven't watched live TV for a while, so it could have changed, but was this tagline, Imagine. So this idea of imagine what it would be like to win the lottery, to win $10 million or whatever it happens to be. Um, and I was reading about the, the, the marketing strategy behind this one, and, and they said that they wanted to give people a picture of more, more than what you would buy, but what you would do with your time if you had the freedom and the opportunity. Um, and with, with the suggestion that what you would do is really spend quality time with family and friends, which I think is ironic because I'm pretty sure that that's free to spend time with family and friends, right? And I'm also pretty sure that winning lots of money is a lot about the stuff that you could get. Um, but anyhow, what I do love about this idea of imagine is I think it's fun sometimes to think about if you did have the opportunity, if you did have that freedom to do whatever you wanted to do, what would you do? Um, if there was no obstacles, if you weren't limited by your day-to-day life or the financial constraints, um, there's a sense of, oh, what would I do? This hope and possibility, and it brings to mind some of the things that we would love to do. Well, most of us won't win uh, lotto. Most of us won't find a lamp in the sand and a genie come out and grant you three wishes. Um, but this morning, I want to take you on the journey of King Solomon, who was someone in the Bible who got that opportunity. So King Solomon, he's, he's pretty famous. I'm pretty sure you would know who he is. But just in case you don't, he was the son of King David, um, who is, is probably one of our most favorite kings. He was the man after God's own heart. And we know King David to be one of the best kings of Israel. And King Solomon was his son. Interestingly, he was the son of David and Bathsheba, whom David um, committed the, the you know, great sin with Bathsheba. And out of that king came King Solomon, which I think is a really nice story of redemption in that, but that's just a little side note. Um, <clears throat> and so King Solomon got past the throne at a really early age. So he was about 20 when he got... Um, given the title of king. So some of you young people, you're sort of around that age or nearing that age. Can you imagine being given this great task at the age of 20 to rule the nation of, of Israel? Um, but he started well. He married the Pharaoh's daughter, so he made an alliance with Egypt really quickly to in, ensure that there was peace there. So he was smart from the beginning, I think. Um, and he was also, David had wanted to build the temple for the Israelites as a place for them to all come to worship and to seek the presence of God. David didn't get that chance, but he passed that on to Solomon. So Solomon was gifted with the opportunity to um, build the temple for the Israelites. But before that happened, um, the Israelites would gather together in places of worship um, to seek God's presence. And 
they gathered in what they called the high places. We were just places that were committed to worship, not necessarily the God of Israel, but they were places that different um, tribes and things would put as a place where altars are there and you can worship your God there. So that's where Israel, Israel would go and to, to worship. So it was at one of these places where God spoke to Solomon, and that's where I want to start this morning, from 1 Kings chapter 3, if you want to follow along. 1 Kings 3 verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. So here we've got Solomon going to one of the most important high places to seek the presence of God. He was intentional about finding God's presence, and it was a big deal. What I find most interesting about this is the amount of offerings that he put on the altar, a thousand. Now, I watched uh, this week on TV a tribe slaughter one goat, and that was gross. I can only imagine what slaughtering this amount of animals and then offering them up to God was like. Big deal, you know, it was extreme. Um, And I think there's something in that for us is that we do want God to talk to us. We do want to meet God. We want to be in his presence. And there's a level of intentionality that we need to have that we intend to meet God and go somewhere and seek out his presence, which is what Solomon was doing. And he was doing it wholeheartedly, thousand offerings on the altar. So it was there um, that the Lord spoke. And in that time that the Lord spoke, 1 Kings 3, 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And there's that sort of magic line. What is it that you want? I'll give you anything. Anything you want me to give you. Now, this could have been a risk for God. In a sense, Solomon could have asked for anything. And because God is a God of promise, he would have granted him whatever he asked. But I don't necessarily think that God felt like it was a risk or didn't know that it was going to surprise him what Solomon would say. I think often God puts these questions to us to get us to examine our own hearts. And here was Solomon with this huge responsibility as king, and God says to him, what do you really want from me? And Solomon has this opportunity to reflect, what do I really need from the king? So Solomon answers, you have shown great kindness to your servant, My father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart, you have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? So it's interesting that Solomon recognizes himself as a little child, and it um, is reminiscent of that verse that says, approach the kingdom as a little child. It's in humility, recognizing he knows nothing. You know, really, we know nothing. So he's seeking God. And he recognizes the place from which he's coming from, which is 
that he needs the wisdom of God. Solomon had this calling on his life. He didn't necessarily choose to be king. This was something that was passed down to him. Um, and so, so he didn't necessarily pursue or seek that out, but this is what God had put before him. And so it was a great burden of responsibility, as you can imagine. And the primary role for the king is huge. It was to make sure that there was harmony in the land with the people, right? So that not just socially between people, but economically and environmentally, this idea of, of creating order and making sure that everyone gets along and, and that his, the nation of Israel prospers. It's a big job. And so he asks God for another way to put it as a hearing heart because he needs to hear from the one who created, the one who knows humanity, the one who knows how he intended things to work. He needed to hear from that one, the creator. And so he says, I need a hearing heart to hear from you, Lord, not me. And that's, that's a good point for us. Now, we all have a calling on our lives, and sometimes we think of a calling as something bigger, kind of like Solomon's thing. Am I going to be king one day? Am I going to, what am I going to do for you? And sometimes we just are a little perplexed as to what that calling is. Um, but can I suggest that God's calling for you is something that you're doing now, the thing that he's put in front of you now, and it might develop and change as you go, but whatever God has given you and put in front of you right now, that's part of your calling, and he's using you because he understands the way that he wants this world to work, and he understands the way that he wants you to work, and he's using you right now in what you're doing as part of your calling, and we need to be seeking just as Solomon did and asking I'm just a little child in a sense. You know, I know nothing, but you know how you created me. And you know, you know where I am right now and what I'm doing right now. And so I need to hear from my creator. <clears throat> so, excuse me. In verse 10, we see um, God's response to this. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this, <clears throat> and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for death of your enemies, but for the discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I'll give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you now what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. See, God follows through on his promises. So when Solomon asked, I need wisdom, I need a discerning heart, God said, you've got it. It's just like it says in James 1, 5 to 6, for all of us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God will follow through on that promise when you ask him. And we need that faith. And I'm sure Solomon had that faith to believe that God, God presented that to me, 
and this is what I asked him, and he will follow through with that. The other thing that's, that's neat about this is that not only does God say, yes, I'll give you wisdom, but then he says, I'll throw in wealth and fame and, and all, all the other things that you didn't ask for. And, um, and so he adds to that. And I don't think that's necessarily that God was rewarding him, you know, like sort of teacher's pet, that that was the right answer, Solomon, and, you know, here's all the rewards. But I think that this is just the understanding that when we ask and seek first the kingdom, right, all these things are added to us. So because Solomon is asking for the ways of God, the natural outworking of that is that he is going to prosper, you know, not just financially, but, you know, the nation is going to prosper. And that's what goes on to happen. First Kings 4, 29 to 34, God gave wisdom, understanding beyond measure, surpassing the wisdom of any man that had gone before him or who was to come. So Solomon did get that and all the rest. His knowledge, as we know, includes all the proverbs and songs that he wrote. He knew a lot about ecology and animals and you know, people from all nations came to seek him for advice and wisdom. And he was also one of the only kings to have his entire reign, the 40 years, in peace. So he, he did get, he, he obviously got that justice and that wisdom from God to rule a peaceful nation and to do it right. I like this quote, it's not up here. True wisdom always results in filling the earth with creativity, generosity, concern for the other, and a longing for all of creation to flourish before God. And I think Solomon saw some of that in his reign. When we begin to do things in harmony with God's intention, then those blessings come. And I think this is our closest shot at feeling fulfilled in life, is when we're doing it in harmony with what the Creator intended for us. Going back to that question, what do you really want? I think all of us you know, we want to feel fulfilled. We want to feel like we're doing something of purpose. And this is our best chance at it, is to live the way that God intended you to live. So here was a man who was given everything, and we're lucky to have those words um, in, in Scripture so we can go to Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, some of those, to see some of those wise things that Solomon said. And it's neat, and it will take you years and years to go through and pick out various verses that um, can mean something to you at certain times. But this morning, I just want to apply some of those general things that I think comes from the teachings of Solomon and from his, his wisdom and what Solomon saw about life. I'm just pausing for effect. First thing, wisdom was there at creation. Wisdom was part of the creative process. In Proverbs 8, 27 to 29, this is wisdom speaking. I was there when he established the heavens, when he drew the horizon of the oceans. I was there when he set the clouds above, when he established springs deep in the earth. I was there when he set the limits of the sea so that they would not spread beyond their boundaries and when he marked off the earth's foundations. You know, isn't that a beautiful picture of God creating? And this is what I love the best, which is up here, Proverbs 8, 30 to 31. I was the architect at his side. His wisdom was the architect at his side. I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence. 
and how happy I was with the world he created, how I rejoiced with the human family. That's neat, isn't it? Isn't it cool that wisdom was there at the beginning watching what God has created? And that's why when we ask for wisdom, you kind of, it makes more sense to understand that seeking wisdom is seeking what God intended for us. Second point, wisdom is living, and by that I mean alive. In Proverbs, we find wisdom described as a person, actually as a woman, which I think is significant, right? <laughs> I think it's significant. Um, you know, when, you, when we say that women are always right, I mean, is there something to that? <laughs> I'm told it's not, that, it's not that significant, actually, because it's part of, part of language and how they, how they used, you know, described feminine and male nouns and pronouns and that kind of thing. But anyhow, <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, but it is a person, right? So we see in Proverbs that women, that, not women, but wisdom speaks. Um, and in Proverbs 3, 15, 18, wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who would hold her tightly. So to me, the sense, the reason wisdom is personified is because wisdom is dynamic. Wisdom isn't the law, and sometimes we think that. What's the wisdom will tell me the right way or the wrong way? But we have the law for that. You know, and that's something we can go look up. Should I murder? No. You know, should I lie? Probably not. That's clear cut. But wisdom, like a, like a person, is things, you know, situations change and there are different contexts for different people. And sometimes there's not necessarily a right and a wrong answer for everything that applies across everything. But there is a right and a wrong in that given context. And I'll try and give you an example of that, mostly because I want to brag about the fact that we went to Hawaii. So I was trying to fit that in there somewhere, and here it is. Michael and I went to Hawaii before Christmas um, for our 10th anniversary, um, but also as a bit of a gift to him so that he could watch the Pipe Masters, um, which is the biggest surfing competition of the year. Um, and that happens um, on Oahu on the North Shore. Now, that event was amazing in itself to see. Um, but the thing, the thing about that particular place, Pipeline, is that it's known for its huge barreling waves. You know, it's one of the best, oh, Michael tells me it is the best surf break in the world, all right? And we got to see that and sit on the shores of that. Now, there's no rules necessarily about what you can or can't do in the water, but when we were sitting there in front of the competition, the commentators, they had speakers set up, and the commentator said to us on that particular day, just be really careful around the edges of the water because the water can come in pretty strong and, and go back out again. So just, just be careful, you know, maybe play just right at the edge, but don't, don't go in the water. That was their word of wisdom. Now, that's not a law or a rule, and it's certainly not something that applies all the time, but for that day it did. And what, what we got to see was people who didn't heed that advice and one woman in particular, um, a tourist presumably, who was fully dressed, bag and everything, walking along along the edge. And she went in too far and 
lo and behold, the wave came in and swept her off her feet. And she really struggled to get back up. She needed help of the people around her to get back up. Um, and, I mean, we could laugh about it now because she survived. It's okay. It was pretty funny. Um, <clears throat> and not much long after that, uh, a man with his child went in too deep. Um, and the child got swept away, which was scarier to watch. And it was sort of like... You know when um, a paper blows in the wind and you're trying to catch it and you keep going after it and he was kind of going after the child. And it just, you know, it just goes to show that that was wisdom for that day to heed, you know, that if you didn't apply in that moment, you know, look out, that's what's going to happen. But what I'm trying to say is that wisdom is dynamic and that that rule wouldn't have applied on another day where it was more calm. Um, so it's, it's a living, wisdom is a, a, a living thing. And life is full of adventure. And sometimes we talk about the Christian life like it's the straight and narrow, thou shalt do this and that. But life, we know, goes like this. And wisdom goes along with that. You know, we take the turns and the ups and downs and we bring wisdom with us. That's why it says cling to wisdom. Cling to her. Number three, I think we're up to wisdom. I'm just going to five. So if you're counting and want to know it's going to finish, it finishes at five. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That used to confuse me because I was like, why are we supposed to be afraid of a God who's loving? But in, in this context, that word fear of the Lord, Israel understood that as just obeying the Lord, walking in his ways, loving him. So it's just the sense of God is the one true God and he's the one that we follow. So, so the fear of the Lord, God is the starting place. Um, and this is where we differ from the world, right? For us, our worldview is around that God is our one true God and we've got this story and we've got this narrative as people of faith. In fact, in in those days, that's where Israel differed from the other nations and the other people who were worshipping. They would worship many gods, and Israel worshipped one God. And so their starting point and their reference point was always about the one God, and that is our starting point and our reference point. Nothing else is really wisdom. Wisdom unfolds only in that context. So any time that we think of wisdom outside of the context of God, I would argue that's not actually wisdom. It can be knowledge, it can be understanding, but when it's out of that context, it's not wisdom. Wisdom unfolds when we recognize and start with the fear of the Lord. C.S. Lewis says this, the question is not what we intended ourselves to be, but what he intended us to be when he made us. He is the painter, we are only the picture. So just remembering that, it was God, our creator, who painted this. And it's from, from that understanding. Number four, wisdom gives life meaning. Ecclesiastes is an awesomely interesting book. And especially if you're feeling a little pessimistic about life, you can kind of go there on that journey. Um, Solomon writes in this, He's trying to find meaning in life and remembering he's got all this wisdom. So you'd think that he would, he would have found out the purpose of life or the meaning of life. Um, but he goes through some ups and downs. Here's a man who has everything and has experienced everything. 
And he says this in the end, um, Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labour which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. You know, in a sense, he's like, life is meaningless. I've done all of this, and I still don't get it. It's meaningless. And this echoes our human expression sometimes. When we go through those parts of life, we're like, what, is, what am I doing? You know, what is, what is God doing in my life? Where is God in my life? I don't get what's going on. Is there any meaning to what I'm doing? Which is good. It's, it's good to be honest and to go through that. And even this, this great wise king had that experience. But the, the neat thing about Ecclesiastes and the difference between that and Proverbs is Proverbs starts with the fear of the Lord. Ecclesiastes starts with Solomon's quest to find wisdom and to find knowledge and to find understanding. It comes from him. I want to find this rather than starting with the fear of the Lord. And so Solomon comes right back down uh, around in Ecclesiastes to, in the end, the very last verse where he says... The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. You see how he comes back to that point. For that is the whole duty of everyone. So it's just coming back to this. When we are seeing it from, from the eyes of God or fearing God from that perspective, that's when we find the meaning. I'm going to finish with this. Wisdom is redemption and life. I would love to tell you all that Solomon's story ended well, but it didn't. It didn't end well. He had too many wives. He had, you know, 299 too many wives, I think. Um, and and they, they led him astray, really. They got him distracted and they wanted to worship other gods. You're all contemplating what it would be like to have that many wives, aren't you? Um, and they led him away, and he, he started allowing them to worship other gods. And that was really the end of him, and the kingdom divided after that. So that was his end. But what did he do? He moved away from the worship of the one true God. And that is a very real struggle for all of us, is that we can move away from the worship of the one true God and be distracted by other things. And that's part of the world that we live in now because we have, we've had sin. And that sort of changed, in a way, God's created intent. But the amazing thing is that we know that God had a plan even for that. He had a plan to redeem us. And that plan was Jesus. And the cool thing about Jesus is that it says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, you are in Christ Jesus, we, who became for us wisdom from God. So Jesus becomes the full embodiment of wisdom. Remember, he was there from the beginning too. He knows what this world was designed for. He knows what you and I were designed for. He knows what the story of our faith was designed for. And he came to redeem that and he came to show us that now this is the way for you to walk. So wisdom isn't that far away from us now because we have Jesus who showed us that. Jesus showed us what true humanity is like. And so really all we need to do is to follow in the ways of Jesus.
because he is the way of wisdom and he is the way that shows us what restored humanity is. And we get to walk on that and we get to be those people as well. We get to show the world what restored humanity is. Just finish with Proverbs eight thirty eight. For those who find me, find life. That's, that's where our life really is. It's in Jesus. And that's what we find when we seek him out. And I, I think this morning, really, what God would ask of us is when you're in my presence which is today, which is this morning when you come to church, which is during your week when you find his presence, let him ask you, what do you really want from me? What do you really want from me? And then, tr- and then trust him because Jesus fulfills his promise, doesn't he, to you. Ask him for wisdom and he'll give it to you. Amen.